The first part of this shear began to dissect the Pasuk in Parshas Kisavo, which describes five hidden components of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. associate with Dever, this invisible plague, illustrating the invisibility of God, the Yad Hashem is invisible. The outstretched arm, according to Chazal, referring to a cherev, some sort of war which broke out in Egypt, either a war symbolized through the ten plagues or the war of the firstborns against their Egyptian fathers. And the third phrase of Aragado reminds us that this was the first moment of national revelation. God descended into the pit of Egypt despite its impurity because of his love for his people. The reality that this night hosted HaKadosh Baruch Hu explains two very interesting sub-aspects or subplots of this night. First and foremost, why did we re- sacrifice Karim Pesach, eat matzah, eat marah? Why were there such ceremonies the night before liberation? These ceremonies commemorate for us the night of emancipation. Why are they performed before we're actually freed? There are many answers to this very well-known question. But one answer is evinced by several midrashim, based on Sukkim and Yecheskel, which describe the Jewish people as a pubescent girl waiting to be redeemed, but without fully formed female features. The Aterom Be'erya, we were still naked. The Pasuk and Shir Hashirim, we were not formed. Achos Lano Kitana, Veshadayim La. Chazal interpret these very sexual imagery as references to a people who were ready to be redeemed, the time had arrived, history was now in full force, but didn't have any mitzvahs to warrant their redemption. A Rom the Medrash interprets, a Rom mina mitzvot, a Rom mina mitzvot. You didn't have any mitzvahs. Shmos Rabbah Parsha Aleph, Higia Kate Shagula, Hashem says. The time of Gula has occurred. Va'at erom ve'eriyah below my sintovim, you have no mitzvahs. Gilei shechina cannot occur without anchoring it to man's performing God's will. The experience and the encounter of the divine essence cannot exist in a vacuum of disciplined human performance of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's divine instructions. Gilei Shechina is not just a spiritual encounter, a set of values, prayer. It has to be anchored by man's submission. Har Sinai was not incidentally the mountain of legislation as well as the mountain of revelation. The experiences of revelation and legislation were mutually dependent. Without legislation, there could be no revelation. And without revelation... Legislation would not have its authority. If the night of Mitzrayim is the first moment of revelation, then it must also be the first moment of legislation. It must be the first moment of delivering laws and mitzvahs. We cannot encounter our Kaddish Baruch Hu, so to speak, naked, naked of any performance. Avram couldn't encounter Hashem in Parshas Lech Lecha. He could hear Hashem, he could dream of Hashem, he could preach Hashem, but he couldn't encounter Hashem until he had the mitzvah of Mila. If the night of Pesach offers the first national revelation, then it must also exact and demand the performance of mitzvahs. Second of all, 
as many have probably heard. We typically and classically interpret the word Pesach, Pesamaches, as the word Passover. Based on Psukim in Bo, reading one Pesach, Yud Beis Chavkimol, Hashem will pass through the land of Egypt, Veraz Adam Malamashko, Fiyoshteam Mezuzos, who witnessed the blood on the doorpost, Vasach Hashem Ala Pesach, typically translated as God will pass over the doorpost, will not allow the angel of death to enter your homes. This description, based on interpreting Pesach as Passover, raises two questions. Firstly, why does God have to see the blood of the Jewish people? He cannot discriminate between a Jewish home and a non-Jewish home without blood. Question which Chazal, of course, raised and supplies several answers for. Final phrase of the Pasuk, If God has already skipped over our houses, so of course the angel of death can't enter. If he's already skipped over, why does God also have to prevent the angel of death from entering? He has skipped over the house, and God and his agents have now moved on. Chazal, of course, raises this question as well. Pesach probably also means not Passover, but to hover, to remain in a certain place. Elio asks the Nevi'i Habal, these um, rebellious Nevi'im in Ulachim Aleph Perak Yudches, a very famous phrase, Ad Tem How long will you remain on both sides of the fence, worshipping God and worshipping Baal simultaneously? doesn't ask them how long will you skip over. They're not skipping over anything. They're not passing over anything. They are remaining on both sides. They're remaining lukewarm to full commitment to HaKadosh Baruch Pesach means, perhaps in addition to Passover, perhaps what it really means is God doesn't skip over our homes. God hovers above our homes. God appears to our homes. The Gemara Sachim, very, very fascinating Gemara, quotes Rabbi Yosef. It's a Gemara Sachim Dachzadik Vav. Rabbi Yosef says, Shlosha Mizbechos Hayusham. There were three Mizbechos. Alamashkof Yoshtea Mezuzos. The blood was not blood to signal Hashem that this was a Jewish home. The blood was literally Hazaz Hadam, sprinkling of blood, which is part of the sacrificial ritual. We sprinkled the blood on the Mizbech, and the first Mizbech was the Jewish home, which is an important symbolic statement unto itself. The first Mizbech being the Jewish home. The Mashkof and the Shem Mezuzos. We sprinkled blood on that Mizbeach. God appeared, Ufasach Hashem ala Pesach. God appeared on our homes, and since God was hovering, Gilo Shechina was hovering above our homes, Necessarily, the angel of death couldn't enter because God's presence was shielding our homes, not skipping over our homes, but appearing to the Jewish people, to each home, to each Mizbeach, as the first act of Gilo Shechina in human history to an entire nation. This interpretation of the word Pesach as Giloi Shechina, as hovering above people's homes because of our mitzvot and because of our carbon Pesach with the Hazaz Hadam is clearly articulated by a mechilta in Parshas Ba. Ma Talmud Lomar Veraisi as Hadam What is God looking to when he sees the blood? Ela bischar mitzvah she'atem osim the mitzvot that you've performed. Ani nigla I appear to you Nigla, v'chas alechem, and have pity, shenemar, u'fasachti alechem. 
Ani nigla I appear The word Pesach is associated by this nechalta with the word nigla. Not that I skip your homes, but I appear to you. I hover above your homes. And when I hover, I have rachmanasim. So the fact that Mitzrayim was the first occasion of Gilei Shechina demands a the performance of mitzvahs, b the structuring of a mizbeach. Hazaz Hadam, and the presence of Hashem Shechina, as captured by the term Pesach. One could well imagine the public outcry if Pesach would be renamed from Passover to hover over, to shield over. But it seems like this is at least one very powerful interpretation of the events in Mitzrayim. So we have already examined three of the five components embedded in this Pasuk in Kisava. Yad Chazaka, Zerah Netuyah, Uvemaragadol. The third component of this Pasuk in Kisava, and the third porthole, or hieroglyph, to some of the events in Mitzrayim, is the phrase, Uviosos, with signs, with signals. The term Osos from Kisavo, from that fourth Pasuk in Kisavo, is interpreted by Chazal, to refer to the mata, to the staff. Or the osos, zehamata, the staff of Moshe. Kemar here quoting a pasuk in Shmos Dalid, at Har Sinai, at Har Elokim, when Hashem appears to Moshe through the snare, ve'es hamateh azet tikach biyadecha asher ta'asebo esa osos. This is the pasuk cited by the Haggadah to prove to us that the word osos refers to Moshe's staff. Obviously, the word osos refers to Moshe's staff, not only based on this linguistic juxtaposition, but because, as Chazal tells us, the staff of Moshe had the letters that Tzach, Adash, Biachav inscribed on it. But the question, of course, emerges, why is the staff such an important feature, such an important topic on the night of Tzipur Yitzhak Mitzrayim? Why is the Pasuk and Kisavo, based on Haggadah's interpretation, highlighting the staff? The Mishnah in Perkei Avos describes ten things which were created during twilight of the week of creation right before Shabbos. Set, Asar Devarim Nivru Be'erev Shabbos Be'erash Mashos. It's in Avos Perkei Mishnah Vav. One of the items created was the Mata, the staff of Moshe. What is the message Chazal deliver in this mission in Perky Yavos, why is the staff being created? Make up your mind. Either it's part of Hashem's creation, it should be created in six days proper, or it's not. And what's the purpose of creating it during this halfway stage after creation has concluded, but before it has really terminated? The answer, at least according to the Rambam, is as follows. The Rambam believes, and he states this in the Maranavuchim and in his Perish on this mission in Avos, that divine intervention is not a rendering or tearing of nature, a cancellation or a subversion of nature, but was in essence pre-programmed into nature. When God created water, he pre-programmed into water's texture and into its character that in 2,448 years, on the 22nd of Nisan, it would split. When God created the sun, he programmed that 2,488 years into creation or so, 
about uh, 2,500 years into creation, it would stop when Yeshua would instruct it to. Nature is pre-programmed towards miracles. Hashem doesn't have to intervene and recreate nature. Very famous position of the Rambam. See, we typically assume that interventions in nature, nisim v'niflos, God breaking nature on our behalf, is a sign of love and of care. The Rambam believed that if God really cared about the Jewish people or whatever beneficiary he creates a miracle for, that should have already been pre-programmed as part of God's overall cosmological creation. Why does God have to? A person should be important enough. It's a very interesting Gemara and Shabbos which articulates these two opinions. The Gemara and Shabbos on Daf Nun Hey Nun Gimel, excuse me, cites a situation. Maisa be'echad shemesa ishto v'nichelo ben linok. A person's wife died with a little child who was still nursing. The man couldn't afford a wet nurse. So an ace happened, and he began to lactate. The male father began to lactate and nurse his child. Abaya heard this story and said, How great must this person be that an ace was performed. Sorry, Rabbi Yosef said that. Must be a great person. Abaya responded, This is not a great person, but a lesser person, because if he were so great, God would not have to alter nature, but God would somehow enable him respond to his needs through nature. His wife shouldn't have died, he should have found some money, someone should have volunteered to feed his child, whatever. But that a male should lactate, and that nature should be completely reversed and reconfigured, it's not a sign of love, that's a sign of almost inferiority to that person. So the Raman believed that Miracles, at least miracles directed at the Jews, should be pre-programmed. This is precisely the message of Amata. The Mata, the source of all the miracles in Egypt, was already created during Ben Hashmashos. It's not part of nature proper, this proper, the primary six days, because it is reversals of nature, so to speak, but it's not natural, but one could still say it's normal. So it's not created during the actual six days, but it's certainly an incorporated part of my Sibiratius, and it gets in under the wire, so to speak, during Ben Hashmashos, between the six days of creation and Shabbos. So at least according to the Rambam, mentioning the Mata, reminds us that all these miracles in Egypt were not interventional, but rather pre-programmed. And it reminds us of the centrality of Yitzhak Mitzrayim in the grand historical scheme. This was something that creation was waiting for, was in suspended animation. It's not an anecdote to history, but it's the birth of history, releasing the Jews from Mitzrayim and launching Jewish history. Even if we don't agree with the Rambam, and the Mata does not symbolize or signify pre-programmed miracles, there are still very important messages latent within the staff. The Medrash in Parsha Shmos, on the Pasuk, or in the verses which describe Hashem persuading Moshe to take this mission, delivering the Mata to execute the mission, the Medrash in Psikta, Lakach Tov, Shmos Perek Dalet. Kivan Shekibol of Moshe Rabbeinu Lelech, Moshe accepts the challenge to go to Egypt. Amor la HaKadosh Baruch Hu, V'yasamata Zetikach B'yadecha, Hashem then transfers the staff. The staff is not transferred until Moshe agrees to the mission. It isn't part of Hashem's persuasive tactics. 
But when Hashem delivers the matah to Moshe, He also delivers a message. Amar says, If you don't perform my agency, Even the stick, even the staff, will do it for me. Essentially, Kaddish Baruch is telling Moshe, you are my agent, and so is the staff. First of all, encouraging Moshe to maintain that conviction. Moshe was reluctant. Shem reminds Moshe he's got many agents. But in a certain sense, also decentralizing Moshe. Don't assume that any of these magical events or acts which you will perform stem from you. You may get to your head. They all come from the staff. Staff bridges Moshe Takarish Baruchu. Moshe almost molds and fuses with the staff. And the staff, don't, no one would assume that the staff would have internal powers. It's an inanimate piece of wood. Don't assume that Moshe has those powers either. If you don't do them, the staff will do them. So take the staff and do them for me. Essentially, the staff becomes a decentralizing and depersonalizing aspect. And it's particularly on the night of Haggadah when Moshe's name isn't mentioned because we want to reserve the entire stage for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's particularly on this night that the role of the staff is crucial. reminds us that all the miracles and all the redemptive events were driven by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and even though we hint to Moshe by mentioning the staff, it's an allusion to Moshe, the staff itself is a depersonalization and almost a marginalization of Moshe, so that the stage of Ani Hashem, Ani Hu, Velo Shliach, Ani Velo Malach, Ani Velo Shliach, can reverberate throughout the Seder experience. And yet there seems to be a third element to the staff. That very same Medrash continues, Asher Tase Hashem informs Moshe, this is a staff that will have good use and much utility. Matanos Harbe Yeshlelitena Yodecha, it will one day provide many gifts, Hashabos, Haman, Habe'er, Ananea Kavod, Sheshmeos Vishloshasa Mitzvos, somehow six hundred and thirteen mitzvos are also attributed to the staff. So at Harsina, Kadish Baruch reminds Moshe, you will perform Osos, not just Makos. To the person exiting Egypt, God could have been seen as exclusively a vengeful, hateful, lustful God who desires blood and human misery, because after all, God had been responsible for such suffering, for such punishment, vicious and brutal punishments wrought upon the Egyptians relentlessly and brutally, mercilessly. A person could have assumed that God is angry. A person could, a person could have become an Islamic fundamentalist. God desires human suffering. Shem reminds Moshe, and by quoting the Mata and by referring to this phrase, Osos, we are reminding ourselves that the same Mata provides life, water, food, safe passage, clouds of glory, mitzvos, to avoid building religion around death. The death of the Egyptians and their punishment is necessary to liberate the Jewish people. But the same Mata will one day be responsible to support an entire people through their trek through the desert. The same Mata will one day flower and produce fruit to demonstrate the selection of Aharon, after so many episodes of death in Parshas Bahaloscha, the Misonim in Parshas Shlach, the Meraglim in the Ma'apilim in Parshas Korach, Korach Vadaso, people are worried. They claim, come to Moshe, Atem Hamitem et Hashem, you're just killing us. Religion is just murder, death, and punishment. 
So the selection of Aaron is once again centered upon the Mata, which flowers and produces fruit to remind them religion is not death, religion is life. But there are aspects of death and punishment in religion. On the night of Pesach, when we recite of the Osel Zehamata, we are reminding ourselves that God is not just a punisher. God does not take delight in the suffering of human creatures and human beings. Sometimes it's necessary, but ultimately the same Mata later on will deliver gifts. Matanos Yesu Yada. HaKadosh Baruch tells Moshe in Parshashimus. So there really are three dimensions to the staff. The Rambam believes that the staff signifies the pre-programming of miracles. In addition to the Rambam's position, the staff also depersonalizes Moshe and extends HaKadosh Baruch Hu's activity and intervention from punishment into benefit. The final phrase of this Pasuk in Kisavo, B'yad chazaka Chazal interpret the phrase Movsim astonishingly as a reference to Dam. Uvimovsim Zehadam. To prove to us that Movsim means Dam, the Haggadah quotes a Pasuk in Yoel. Pasuk in Yoel, Perek Gimel, Venosati Movsim Bashamayim Uvaaret, Dam, Vaesh, Vesim Rosashan. I will place signs in the heavens, blood, fire, and smoke. This is a very, very strange interpretation. Firstly, where was the smoke and fire in Egypt? All there was was Dam. Some Rishonim, like the Ritva, tried to remind us that perhaps there was some smoke and fire. Maybe, maybe chemically, transforming water into blood produces heat and smoke. Seems very speculative. But even if we were to assume that there was blood, or there was smoke and fire during the blood, the plague of blood. Why is blood being mentioned? Why is it being mentioned here? This is the final pasuk, the final word describing Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Why are we returning to the first plague? This is a very strange sequencing. Perhaps this view of the plague of blood reminds us of this Maka's broader connotations. We view the plague of Dam and Svardea in Parshas Ve'era as a practical inconveniencing of the Egyptians. No water to drink, frogs causing a nuisance, loud sounds. In Yechezkel, Perachavtez, Dam and Svardea are projected in very theological and existential terms. Pyro had self-deified into the Nile River. He saw the great technological potential of the Nile River to irrigate an arid subcontinent. Egypt was the only country that was able to capture the power of irrigation and turn a desert into a meadow, into farmlands. And he saw himself as the source of this power of the Nile. So God appears, as Yechezkel describes, I am upon you, Pyro, the great reptile, Haravetz Betoch Yorav, crouched in the Nile. Asher Amaru constantly says, Li Yari, the Nile is me, Vaniyasitini, and I have forged the Nile in its power. Very naked and glaring self-deification. Li Yari, the Nile is me, Vaniyasitini. So God threatens Pyro through Makazdam, a whole different version of Makazdam. 
I will place hooks into your cheeks. As I fish you out of the Nile, dead and drying fish will cling to your scales. And an all-out assault on Pyro and his Nile and the fish that swim within. Saddam and Svardea is not just a practical attempt to scare the Egyptians, but is a focused assault on Pyro's hubris and arrogance. The pyro who claimed, Li Ariva Niasitini. And that could explain the showcase and spotlight of Dam. In the end of this Pasak in Kisava of Anasati Mosim Bashamaim of Arts Damva H Visim Rosasha. But still we're bothered by why Dam appears. There is referenced by that final part of the Pasak. The reference to Yoel is still very, very clumsy. Even if there was smoke and fire, it wasn't in the heaven, it was in the Nile. It appears as if the Baal Agada has a slightly different interest in interpreting the Pazak in Kisavo, that final phrase of the Pazak in Kisavo, as a reference to Dam. The manager I read earlier, which describes the ten plagues as a military battle, continues. It's again the Psikhtar of Kahana in Parshas Bao, Vahibach Zialayla. Rebbeleivi Bishem Rebchama Bishrebchanina. The same God who punished the Egyptians will one day punish the last empire, in this case Edom. And the Medrash proceeds to see the ten plagues as a blueprint for apocalypse. Each and every plague of Egypt will recur during the apocalyptic final reckoning. There will be blood directed against the Edomites. And it cites in each instance a Pasuk from Tanakh to prove the presence of one of those plagues as an ingredient of Apocalypse. It's a very interesting medrash. Just as we are redeemed in Mitzrayim, we will be redeemed, and in the literal sense, the ten plagues will serve as the blueprint for that final accounting and, and, uh, and retribution, divine retribution. Of course, the first plague to be cross-referenced is blood, just like there was blood in Egypt. So will there be blood in the apocalyptic reckoning. The Pesach, which the Medrash quotes to prove the presence of blood amongst the apocalyptic process, or within the apocalyptic process, the Pesach, the Medrash quotes, is this Pesach in Yehov. In Asati, Mofsim Bashamayim Uvaretz Dam Vaesh Visimrosashan Blood, Fire, and Clouds of Smoke. In the heavens, not just on the earth. By quoting this Pasuk, the Baal Hagada is reminding us as we conclude Sayulamad, as those four Psukim in Arami Ovidav and Kisava wind to a conclusion. The word mavsim reminds us that everything that we witness will one day recur. And more, obviously. There was no smoke or fire in Egypt. There was blood. And the blood was in the Nile. But in Mirz Hashem, in the final retribution, there will be blood, fire, and smoke. And it will be not just in the land, but in the earth, uh, but in the heavens. And everything else about Mitzrayim will recur, will be reinvented. 
And the Baal Haggadah can't cite ten Sukkim, because that obviously would be unwieldy for the Haggadah, so it just cites the first passage. It's not spotlighting blood, per se. It's merely beginning, introducing this Medrash, which translates the ten plagues into a blueprint for Apocalypse, and the first translation is the extrapolation of blood from Mitzias Mitzrayim to Achris Hayamim, through the Pasuk in Yoel, Venesati Mofsim Mashamayim Uvaretz. You have to put a big etc. etc. period in the end of that part of the Haggadah. Venasati Mavsim Mashamayim Uvaaretz etc. There'll be Dam, there'll be Tzvardeya, there'll be Kinam Arav, Dever Shchin. He's not spotlighting Dam. Spotlighting Yitzias Mitzrayim and Eser Makos as a blueprint for Gula Achrona. In Mirz Hashem, we should be zocha to all witness the Gula Achrona. Dem Heir Avi Amenu.